and welcome to Double Think, the podcast asking the questions you had the good judgment not to bother with. I'm Aidan McKelvey and here is my co-host, Ken Welch. Hello. Yeah, so basically the concept of the programme is that we take some question that's impossible to answer or that has no real answer or very difficult to answer and then we just have a run at it. We talk to each other, then we talk to people who know what they're on about and then we talk to random members of the public as well. Yeah, and if, we, if you're waiting for a coherent conclusion, don't be disappointed if it doesn't come. And we're going to have a follow-up episode for each episode where we deal with people's uh, responses and criticisms and things like that. You know, so it, it's kind of like a, a generally philosophical podcast. So uh, we're expecting that, that there will be disagreement and we'd love to hear what problems people had with it, right? You know, anything other than you thought these guys were... Two arseholes. You know, if you, you can ha- throw that in if you want yeah, as well. <laughs> yeah, if you want, we might read it out if it's funny. But uh, you know, if you have any any problems with the substance or any point that we made, or if you disagree with the perspectives that we're coming from, we'd really, really like to hear those. And then there will be a second follow up episode for each episode, and then uh, uh, we'll deal with them on that. Yeah, and that follow up episode will be called Mini Think. And if you'd like to contact us to you know get your words heard on Mini Think. You can get us on Twitter at DoubleThinkCasts. You can email us at DoubleThinkPodcasts at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook at DoubleThinkPodcasts. So on this episode, we're going to be discussing uh, immortality, amortality, and asking should we choose to live forever. Ken, and we'll, you know, As Ken said, we'll be talking to some experts on it and members of the public. Ken, in terms of experts, who did you talk to? I talked to Dr. James Hughes, who's the executive director of the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies. I also talked with you to Les Knight, who's the founder of the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, and uh, funeral directors and members of the Order of the Good Death, Rachel James and Sarah Wambold. Uh, Who did you talk to? Uh, Yeah, so I talked to Aubrey de Grey. He's the uh, CSO of SENS Research Foundation. He's probably the most famous kind of public spokesperson on... uh, Immortality and uh, longevity and that sort, those sort of studies. Uh, and, and he's a scientist actively working on this. Yeah, which is really interesting. And he also, I also talked to another scientist actively working on it, uh, Gregory Bailey. He's the CEO of Juvenescence. So now, uh, let's get on with the show. <laughs> okay, right. That's why I'm going to say to you, Ananai. Okay, are we recording? Yeah. Okay, Grant. So it start. It's starting. <laughs> it's, it started the whole way through your... <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, don't leave that in. Anyway, so, Mac, what's the story with this episode? Uh, I wanted to talk about whether or not people would like to live forever, if that were possible. Yeah, uh, we've talked about this before. You definitely do want to live forever. It's not only that I do want to live forever, I don't understand anybody really who's kind of saying that they don't want to live forever like well there are different there are different um kind of criteria that we can probably go through but like when you hear you hear different arguments about people why they wouldn't want to do it but supposing in the the situation where say uh, medical technology advances to a point where anybody can everybody can live forever uh and not only can everybody live forever but say their age is more or less frozen in and around whatever, in their 20s or their 30s. I don't know if you'd have a choice about that, but certainly you could, like, what I'm talking about is you're, you're kind of stopping ageing. Uh, I don't 
I genuinely don't understand why people, and certainly why so many people are like, no, don't do that. I can definitely imagine on my deathbed if someone came up and was like, here, instead of dying, do you want to take this tablet and live? I would definitely say, yeah. But I don't, like, what's so good about you that you should live forever? What's <laughs> so good about me? But it's not about what, it's like, I want to be, I want to exist. It's nothing to do with how, how good it is. Obviously, if, you, if your life is absolutely miserable or you're in great pain, then I, in that circumstance, obviously, I understand that you don't want to live forever. But like people say like, uh, oh, I don't know, I'd get bored. They're fucking bored. Like, there's like how many countries? Like, some like two. There's over two hundred countries in the world. There's like you're living forever, and so this becomes relevant. There's like billions of stars in the galaxy, which means trillions of worlds in the galaxy, and then there's trillions of galaxies. Like, how are you possibly going to get bored? Yeah, but how far away is the nearest planet? Like, you're going to get bored of two hundred countries. Let's say after two thousand years, you've visited every country, you've seen it all. Right. How long is it going to take to get to the next star? First of all, that's also like a ludicrous, like two thousand years. How you? How do you know that you'll have visited? It's not just going like, oh, I visited uh, Beijing, so therefore I've been in China. I visited China. It's like there's every town in China. There's every sort of experience you can have. Like you could spend like seventy years being like a writer, and then go, oh, I don't do this anymore. Now I want to be a gymnast, or like a male model. You know, you want to be like so. You could, you can, you can have a whole life of career. You can have a whole family, and then, you know, you can move on to something else. Yeah, but what's wrong with that? I like. I don't li- like the idea of not existing. Like, I don't, and I genuinely don't can't comprehend anyone who's like happy with that idea. The worst case scenario with that is it's neutral. It's nothing. It's like what you were before you were born. It's not. It's not nothing because before you were born, you didn't know it. You didn't know because you didn't exist. But this, you know, it's coming. So it's go, It's going from a from a position of being something to be to not being something. It's not, it doesn't work the other way around. Why not? Because the other way around, like you couldn't have been concerned about it because you don't exist yet. But now, like, you're talking about, and I do now exist, so I'm concerned about not existing because I want to exist. Yeah, but you're not, after, you're not going to be like, oh, I wish I existed. There's not going to be anything there to think that. Uh, yeah, but the, the like, in the run-up to it, I'm going to be like, shit, I'm going to die. Yeah. And also, there's also, do you never think things like, maybe actually, I don't know why I'm saying this, like, everybody should think this, but I often think to myself, uh, it'd be shit now if I died before, like, a- we found any aliens that'd be terrible <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well or if we you if know, you're but, holding on for that we don't know if there's aliens out there yeah no we don't but like that's what I'm saying I'd like to know I'd like to find that out like I'd like to, I'd like to be able to you know maybe it's a you're immortal immortal is probably the better way rather than immortal yeah so what's the difference alright so immortal immortal mortal yeah we should actually probably run through the different uh, possible cir- like circumstances because that, that might be an interesting thing to ask different people. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll go on, explain the terms and then we'll go on with what's possible. Okay. So, immortal me, would mean that uh, natural death or like death by old age or sickness is all wiped out. So, the only thing that can happen to you is you can be murdered or you can commit suicide or you could die in an accident. Um, and I believe if that were the case, your average life expectancy, uh, like if, if you were immortal, taking into account accidents and all that, yeah. uh, average life expectancy would be, I think it was 14, no, 4,000 years of age. 
Wrong! 1,242. That's hardly immortal. No, it's a, that's amortal. Yeah. So like, now that's average. So that's just, average. So it's taken into account that lots of people are gonna like just over from living so long, people are gonna get run over by things. Yeah. Uh, but like you know, more likely than that, your average like a lot of people are gonna like live to like hundreds of thousands of years old. Yeah. Maybe hit the millions if they're careful. Yeah. But here would 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 God not be freaking out in heaven going ah what are they doing? <laughs> they're meant to be coming up here. <laughs> this what are is they the wrong thing. Don't, don't go to China twenty times. <laughs> yeah. He might be. Maybe he has an occupancy issue up there, though. Maybe he'd be delighted. Yeah. Go on, so so that's immortal. Immortal is just you can't die. You can't be killed. Uh, yeah, immortal, yeah. Just... Yeah, like someone stab you in the head 20 times and you'd be like, ah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so that's not on the card. So something that people uh, listening might not be aware to is that immortality is kind of on the cards. Yeah. In that it's theoretically possible and there are people working towards it. Yeah. So yeah. this is something that well, Aubrey de Grey uh, apparently reckons that the first person that will live to a thousand years might already be alive. Yeah, and uh, like um, certainly, yeah. I I think I think from my kind of readings on it in the past, that might be. Uh, at the moment, I think that might be a bit of a stretch. I guess we'll find out when we talk to Aubrey de Grey what he what he reckons about it. But like, uh, my name so- is Dr. Aubrey de Grey, and I am the chief science officer of Sense Research Foundation, which is a biomedical research charity based in Silicon Valley, California. We work on developing medicines to keep people healthy when they get old. It is impossible to put a definitive time frame on these things, as it is with any pioneering technology that's more than you know a couple of years away. Um, but I think not only is it possible to speculate probabilistically on this, but also that experts in this field, such as myself, we have an obligation to do that because if we don't, if we just refuse to make predictions, then the rest of the world is going to make their own and those predictions are going to be wrong. Specifically, they're going to be over pessimistic. Um, so yeah, I, my, I, I myself currently feel that we have a 50, 50 chance of getting to what I've called longevity escape velocity within about 17 years from now. So to elaborate on what I mean by longevity escape velocity, that is the point where we have not by any means um, developed an absolutely 100% perfect panel of damage repair therapies, but we have developed a sufficiently comprehensive panel that we can stay one step ahead of the problem. In other words, that we buy people time, because of course we'll be applying these therapies to people who are already in middle age or older at that time, but we also buy ourselves time, us the scientists, to continue improving the therapy so that when these people need to be re-rejuvenated, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years later, um, that even though they've got more difficult damage to repair, we have, um, you know, kept pace in terms of improving the sophisticatedness of the therapies. And uh, I believe, yes, 17 years from now with 50% probability. But let me emphasize that I think there's at least a 10% chance that we won't get there for 100 years. It's just that that doesn't bother me. You know, it doesn't change my priorities now in terms of what to work on and how, how, um, how to maximize how many lives we can save. Okay, so... Generally, uh, scientists, I find, are loath to um, speculate or crystal ball. But I, I feel like it's it's incumbent upon me to ask you, Aubrey, are you and I going to, what age are we going to live to? <laughs> are, we going to are we going to live indefinitely? So because these therapies are rejuvenation therapies, uh, and because that means that we're going to have this concept of longevity escape velocity, 
Um, the real the, the, the import of your question really comes down to are we going to make the cut? Um, you know, either we are going to die with high probability anyway, um, you know, not much older than our parents did, or we are going to live indefinitely. It's very unlikely that we will die at you know, a three-digit lifespan. Uh, you know, it's, it's either less or more. Uh, and um, whether we're going to make the cut, of course, depends, first of all, on how old we are, second of all, on how old we are for our age, in other words, how well we're looking after ourselves and how lucky we are genetically and so on, and third of all, how soon the therapies come along. Um, now, of course, we can't do much about our genetics. Um, uh, we certainly can't do very much about how about which year we were born in. Um, it turns out that actually lifestyle and dietary considerations do not play all that much of a role either, at least not if we consider the baseline to be living the way your mother told you to, you know, not getting overweight, not smoking, um, you know, just, you know, but otherwise not really paying all that much attention. If that's the baseline, then we can't do appreciably better than that as things currently stand, which means that the single most important thing that we can do today to improve our probabilities is to hasten the defeat of aging, to hasten the development of these medicines. And, of course, the way we can do that depends on who we are. So, you know, any billionaire can come along and um, help by providing money. Uh, people like you can help by doing exactly what you're doing right now, uh, educating the general public via interviewing an expert. You can go to our website, sense.org, S for sugar, E for elephant, N for November, S for sugar. And uh, there's a huge amount of information there. It's um, written for every kind of audience, all the way from experts to complete novices. Uh, about everything we do, everything that's going on in the field that other people are doing. We have lots of newsworthy stuff there. And, of course, there's a nice, big, friendly donate button. And, um, of course, everybody can engage in advocacy. So the question then comes down to, are we going to make it? Well, I mentioned earlier that I think we have a 50-50 chance of reaching longevity escape velocity in 17 years from now. And that means that I will be 73 and you will be, um, you'll be 54, yeah. right? Now, um, so we've both got some chance. I've got less chance than you measured that way, but then again, but certainly a lot of people like there's a lot of people like a lot of like reputable scientists around at the moment who would say, if you're under fifty now, uh, you're very likely to live to 120, 130. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, that's currently, isn't it? That's currently. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the life like that. That's the, all of those kind of pro projections. They all rely a little bit on that idea which is a bit wishy-washy of like, we've made progress up to now, so we will continue to make progress at this yeah. exact same rate. But there might be a stumbling block along the way. It's obviously. like there used to be razor blades. It was a single blade. Then there was the double, <laughs> then the Mach 3. Now there's one or five. Yeah. 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 There's going to be like hundreds of razor blades on a thing in the future. <laughs> yeah. They've gone by that logic. Yeah, you'll have to walk through like a massive razor blade. Keep going up and up. Yeah. Uh, here, I want to talk about uh, some of the consequences of a mortal technology coming into existence the likelihood that it's going to be incredibly rich people right and it's grand well well at least for the first few hundred years or something right and so it's got to be grand for jeff bezos or something mm -hmm. to be a mortal right um that will create like a huge social divide if you have this like this super upper class of of essentially immortal people that don't age and then all the rest of us. And then also, like, like a second thing on top of that, if we get amortality for everybody, uh, does that mean for the majority of people like who are workers, there's going to be like 
an eternity of wage slavery. I mean, there still needs to be all the, the you know, uh, bins still need to be collected, jobs, just your average just job that most of us have are still going to need to be done. An eternity of that be a nightmare. Well, loads of them aren't, like you, you say that, but like bins, probably in like 10 years, bins won't be collected by human beings. Like... Okay, but you okay. So you need to speculate all these other technologies. No, no, but I mean, there's loads of jobs that like, uh, like you can see the technology's already in place that they're that job's just going to be eliminated, and it's projected by a lot of people that like most jobs will be sort of obs- made obsolete. Uh, you know, in the next true like mechanization and AI and all that, in like the next five, ten, fifteen years. But uh, the point of it is, I guess, like the you know you're alive for so long that nobody's like nobody's gonna do like nobody's gonna do the same job like for their eternity of their life well, they'll just switch to something like they'll switch to something else like. well the jobs will be determined by what jobs are there that need what to be done are, yeah like not like I get the impression that you're imagining this scenario of, of ultimate freedom where everybody has the choice to do anything or go to China as many times as they like uh, this episode obviously being sponsored by the Chinese government uh, tourism <laughs> uh, board. So yeah, As are go all our if, episodes. If, if you do become immortal, make sure to go to China. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but go on. So, so like, not everybody's going to have this total condition of freedom. Okay, so only rich people. Going back, actually, let's go back to the original thing: the rich people that it'll be something that only maybe rich people can avail of. I talked to a guy called Greg Bailey before. He's like a he, the CEO of like Juvenescence, and these are one of these companies that you know they're they're trying to get longevity drugs and uh all that sort of stuff and he was saying that like i asked him that exact question you know will this be like a rich person's thing and he was saying that if i develop a drug today that allows you to live 25 years longer as you've described would you pay me one pound a day how many people can afford one pound a day globally I think it's somewhere between half a billion and two billion people who are going to have to have a slightly smaller Starbucks so they could afford the one pound a day, but they'll be able to afford it. I would actually argue that if that's one billion people, I'm making a billion dollars a day. I can charge 10p. I can charge 5p. My patient population for my drug is 7.8 billion people. Your patient population for every other disease, even something as ubiquitous as migraine, there's like a hundred million people. Okay, okay well here, here's another one, right? So let's say we've reached this point where everybody is immortal. Um, what would happen if you murder someone? Like, like say, say you murder someone, they're potentially going to live forever, and they they did something on you, whatever they robbed your hat, and so you murdered them, right? So. What's the prison sentence there? Do you go away? Do you go away for so now? Like maximum sentence is probably forty years. Let's just say let's just say sixty years, which is is, is kind of unrealistic currently. But so if you go away for sixty years, and then you've got you know you're free, and then you've got thousands of years to carry on. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Like that's you ask a really like a really uh, difficult question. I guess like it, it depends whether you're somebody who believes in rehabilitation or like I don't believe in the death penalty but maybe in a situation where people are are amor- immortal society might decide that like if you're like a mass murderer 
you get the death penalty. I don't know. Would, uh, that, would, that, would that be even worse? Would death be even worse in this context? I don't think it is. Like, see, I don't think it is. I think like that's a, a, another thing that people say. It's like, uh, uh, I wouldn't like death would be unimaginable. Like unimaginably painful because you could have lived forever. But like, it's unimaginably bad anyway. You're like, like I said, you're going from like not existing to or existing to not existing. And if you take someone's life, you're depriving them of existence. Like it's pretty bad. Like, well, I, okay, I don't really see what's wrong with not existing or with, with with death. Right? Not that not that I'm like, oh, I hope that truck gets me. Uh, but we generally tend to think of it as the worst thing that can happen to you. Yeah. But the current situation is that it's the one thing that's guaranteed to happen. Yeah. To you anyway. So why is the the thing that's definitely going to happen the worst thing? Because uh, like you're you're inevitably going to get to like you're not going to get to do everything you would like to do. Full stop. Like it's not not nobody has the time in their life to do everything they like to do. So you're deprive you're depriving yourself of the opportunity to do things that you'd like to do. Like it's not. I don't think it's really hard to understand. Like I think it's like quite straightforward. Maybe we should. Maybe we should turn around to you because you seem to be coming at it from a certain angle. So we've got the idea that I, uh, in this intro, that like clearly I would say yes. Uh, so maybe I'll run you through the the circumstances. Go ahead. Right. So, a uh, drug has just been invented, and it now means that you, Ken Walsh, and nobody else can live forever. Just me. Just you. You're the only person you're going to live forever. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's a genie. It doesn't have to be a drug. Maybe yeah, God yeah. has decreed it. Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, uh, I'd go on a late, late show. I'd say there'd be lots of interest. It's like, ah, here's this immortal fella. You've all heard about him. I'd go on and wave <laughs> no, it. I'm Tell them what it's like to be immortal <laughs> and all that. Yeah. Laugh at them. You're all going to die. <laughs> uh, not me. But I mean, okay, great. You'll go to the late, yeah, late show. Yeah. But will you, if you, okay, so say you're given an option. Yeah. Are you taking that option? Uh, but I'm the only one. You're the only one. So it's like, did you ever see, oh, I'm going to spoil a film. So don't listen if you want to watch films. Did you ever see that film? It's about a fellow who's in a prison and he has, he has, he can bring mice back to life. He can bring mice back to life. Yeah, and then there he's on death row, and then Tom Hanks becomes his friend, and then at the uh, end he gives Tom Hanks the gift yeah, of immortality. Yeah. Do you actually not know the name of this though? Ah, uh, the Green Mile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it, it came to me. Yeah. Right? And then I feel like you're taking some uh, creative liberties. No, this that's film what it's about. He doesn't give John Tom Hanks the, the ability of immortality. He does. At the end, he's like, "I'll tell you what. I'm going to be killed, but I'll leave you with this." And it's the gift of immortality. And then at the end, and then the last scene, then the, yeah, then the last scene is Tom Hanks and he's sitting on a bench and he's there going, "Ah, oh, life uh, is like a box of chocolates." <laughs> no, he's like, everyone I watched, everyone I know is dead. Everyone I loved, it's very sad. I'm 108 years old, Elaine. I was 44 the year that John Coffey walked the Green Mile. He mustn't blame John. He couldn't help what happened. It was, he's just a force of nature. Oh, I've lived to see some amazing things, Ellie. Another century come to pass. But I've, I've had to see my friends and loved ones die off through the years. Hal and Melinda, Brutus Howell, my wife, my boy. And you, Elaine, 
you will die too. And my curse is knowing that I'll be there to see it. It's my atonement, you see. It's my punishment for letting John Coffey ride the lightning, for killing a miracle of God. So that, if I was the only mortal one, I'd have to watch everyone that I know and care about die. Yeah, so would you do it? And am I amortal in this situation? Uh, let's say... Or I, I literally can't be killed. You literally can't, you're, you're immortal. So I, would I survive the heat death of the universe? I guess so, yeah. That'd be shit. That'd be a, that'd be a nightmare. <laughs> that'd be You'd be no, just floating around in eternal yeah. darkness. Let's be, uh, let's say, okay, let's say, I mean... <laughs> this is an absolutely ridiculous criteria to have to put in there, but let's say yeah, okay, you're 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 able to, you're able to like call it a day at the end the heat of the universe, because right. cause say it's a you know you've been granted this, um, by the a, universe, a genie, a genie <laughs> and the, apparently. yeah, and apparently the genie will also have um, who's making it happen will have been killed by the heat out of the universe. <laughs> right, right, right. So okay, but uh, when is the earth meant to die? Oh, like, uh, oh, what is it? It's a few, it's like a few billion years from now, I think. What's it? So the Earth is 13 billion years old. Wrong! Scientists estimate the Earth is 4.54 billion years old, the exact same age as the rest of the solar system. My understanding, if I'm correct, is the sun is in and around the same ballpark and it's halfway through its life, the sun, I think, more or less. So you've got about another 13 billion years. Wrong! Until the Earth is destroyed. Yes. Yeah, and then I'm floating in space. Yeah, but you've 13 billion years to come up like to, to uh, you and the rest of humanity yeah. to figure out a technology to get out to another well, planet. If I'm magically immortal uh, at my current state, I assume. Yeah. Uh, does that mean I won't be able to lose weight? I'll, I'll be just stuck like this. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, answer the question. You're, yeah, yeah. Like a, you're like going off like a politician on this. Yeah. Just yeah. answer the simple question. Hold I mean, on. You would take uh, it. Yeah, but I want to find out what I'm saying yes to. <laughs> okay. Right. I'm not going to hold you to it, okay? I'm going to uh, let you. Yeah. You get a review period after the first billion years. <laughs> oh, right. No, no, well, well, no, well, you don't. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so is evolution stunted? In, because the rest of the human race and other animals are going to evolve because evolution doesn't stop. I'm going to be stuck. They'll be all moving on to being like the Planet of the Apes and I'll be stuck like this. Yeah. But like you'll also, like that might, you might see that as a bad thing. But I don't know if it really is. Like you'll have like, while they're, you know, changing genetically and evolving as a species, you'll be like learning. You'll be seeing it happen in real time. You'll like be way more knowledgeable than them. Way, like you'll be far beyond... They just keep getting born, but you're like the guy who's lived for like a billion years. Yeah. Uh, what if they, what if people didn't like that? People would be trying to imprison me and stuff. Because they'd be like, there's your man. He's immortal. He thinks he's great. I'll show him. Yeah, maybe. They would. That's part of the risk. Is part of, The risk is part of it. If you're the only one, people know you're the only yeah. one. And that also, if you're like, so if you're the only one and you're amortal, yeah. you saying you prefer that than being Im- immortal? I definitely prefer amortality then immortality. Okay, so okay, so I'm guessing from your just because you had so many questions about it, uh, and you, most of them you seemed like I'm skeptical about this idea, and that's fair enough. So I'm guessing you're gonna say no to Im- lone immortality, immortality on your own. Lone, no. Immortality on your own. On my own, no, because I reckon I reckon I wouldn't even get to what I'm likely to get to because people would try to kill me. 
Yeah, well, they might, but also you don't like, you know, you don't have to tell them. Like, who's gonna like? Yeah, we're not going to get on the late late show now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's your uh, own. That'll be your own risk. It's like the those people who uh, <laughs> who announced that they've won the lotto. Yeah, <laughs> and then suddenly you're like, oh no, yeah, all my yeah. friends want money. It's also highly unlikely that they would believe me. Like if I went into RTE and it was like, here, guess what? I can't die. I seriously doubt they would take that at face value. Yeah, working in media, though, they might still put you on air. Yeah, <laughs> they might be. Yeah. They go, yes, Mister Walsh, we'd love to hear your talk yeah, about immortality, yeah. and they're laughing about you in the next room. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm the only one who's immortal. Yes. Uh, well, it depends. If you ask me now, I'd, I'd, but if you ask me on my deathbed, I'd probably go, yeah, give us. I think like that, shoot that into me. Isn't deathbed though the real answer? Like, because yeah, you're not, yeah. you're just not, you're not. Um, At the minute, I'm not thinking about it. You're not conceptualizing it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's also a massive reason why, like, people say, like, oh, you know. I hope I, I die before I'm old. It's like, no, you don't. Like, yeah, only, I never understood that. You're only saying that because you haven't thought about yeah. what that, that actually means. Yeah, it's like the, the Who song. Yeah. Like, hope I die before I get old. And they're all old. And yeah, well, they're still with us. They're they, still with us, yeah. If they really hoped that. It's, it shows you the wisdom of Robbie Williams. Do you remember his incredibly uncool song, I'm hope I, I hope I'm old before I die? Do I that? do remember that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's play some of that. No, let's <laughs> let's definitely not. Oh, <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, then the other the other the other circumstances. So when I ask this question to people, I told you the bit where sometimes they say, "Oh, I'd be worried about getting bored," um, which is like to me insane. But the other one, the other kind of problems they have make a bit more sense, and they come they come into question in different types of immortality so a lot of people say like oh well like I don't want to be old and decrepit for like eternity like I don't want my yeah, body, to, yeah. body to like look really old um, in that case I mean I don't think anyone wants that you don't want that no so that criteria uh, nobody really does that no one. no grant uh, and then the other thing they say is well I don't want to have to watch which again is understandable I don't want to have to watch uh, everyone I love die yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean nobody would like that and also it's probably hard to conceptualize that, like because I, I even on that criteria, if I'm the only person, I think I'd still do it, uh, which obviously entails that horrible thing of like seeing everyone over yeah, and over again, see, seeing that happen. Um, but what about in the situation where uh, there's a new drug, it's affordable for everyone, and uh, we all have like whatever it's put into the water, and suddenly we all are immortal. Well, you'd have how all do you, How do you feel? Like, I mean, I'm I'm giving you the option. Yeah. You'd have all those fluoride head cases onto you, wouldn't you? I'm sure you'll have people in this situation. I bet you'd have people going like, oh, back in the day, we used to, like, we used we, to die. We used to it be was dying. It was, it was natural. This is unnatural. It's like, yeah, well, like. Yeah. Well, ever. like, you, I do have some sympathy for that point of view, but I would definitely say to those that, you know, our life expectancy in a state of nature is about 40 ish. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, if, so if, if we even, were it was forty, you should have started at start not this century. Started the twentieth century. It was forty. We're like yeah, yeah, yeah. So in we're, America. <laughs> so we're, me and you, we're nearly at the the uh, natural life expectancy anyway. But there was lots of people who lived past forty. So forty is going to average it out. Yeah. Right. So it's not really expectancy, but in, in a state of nature, hunter gatherer society, you're talking about. You're lucky to get to your mid thirties. Yeah. So we've already, you know, We'd more than lo- doubled what nature would have us have. <laughs> yeah. We'd be like the village elders, me and you. Yeah. If we were, if we were 
around in that time, which is a bit mad. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, so like, but yeah, so you don't have any sympathy with them, or you do? No, no, no. I, I definitely have have sympathy for them. I can see the perspective that I don't know. There, there's you know, there's different stages of life, and our minds are different in those. Like, so your mind as, a, as an infant is different from an adolescent and so on. Uh, God only knows what it would do psychologically to you if you're, you know, 200 years in. Yeah, I don't know, but it'd be, like, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't really, like, if everyone's doing it, I don't... Obviously, that's unforeseeable yeah. to a degree, but I don't see any down point. If, like, everyone's in and they're they're going on forever, like... I mean, like, I guess the other the other down points might be people are going to be concerned about overpopulation, resources, that type of stuff. Hi, I'm Les Knight. I'm a volunteer with the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. The Voluntary Human Extinction Movement is pretty much summed up by its name. We are in favor of humans becoming extinct through voluntary means, specifically not procreating until we die out by natural causes. Okay, boy. The reason we would like to uh, phase out humanity is for the benefit of humanity and for the planet, both, almost equally, although once we're gone, the benefit will be completely on the biosphere. Well, how is it to the benefit of humanity? Well, as we phase ourselves out, there will potentially be more of everything for everyone. Right now, we're having a difficult time taking care of everybody. Tens of thousands of children dying every day, preventable causes and so on. There are almost a billion people who are experiencing food insecurity. And if we weren't increasing by a quarter of a million a day and we're decreasing by perhaps that many, I think we'd be able to take care of everybody. Uh, is that not a good argument in favor of more food and more medicine and so on rather than fewer people? So it might seem that would be one way to approach it. However, our agriculture already uses up the land mass the size of South America. There really isn't much more. And we keep taking away from wildlife habitat to uh, turn into human habitat, including our agriculture, even if we aren't living there, if we're running some cattle there, that's human habitat. My name is Sarah Wombold, and I'm a writer and funeral director in Austin, Texas. I would have to know if, you know, staying around was going to be better than the alternative, which I'm not to sound suicidal, but I mean, I think there's a time for everything. And um, and that, like I said earlier, that reconnection to the earth is appealing in a way. Um, and to give that up to stay here and use resources, um, that's not appealing to me. Uh, you know, I think there is a line of thought in the transhumanist movement that, um, and this is so extremely far off and I can't even remember the title for it, but it would, it's basically saying that to achieve immortality, I mean, we would have to have a completely different like neurological and biological makeup, uh, in order to not continue to do harm on the planet. Um, and that's like the only way that it might be appealing, but we're so far away from that, that I don't think I'll survive until then. Um, so no, I don't, it, it doesn't seem that appealing to me. I, I think if, and I've witnessed a lot of people in older age, you know, should I ever make it there that, um, you know, they still have a real surrender about it and they seem really ready to, 
to see what the next step is. But I, I think that like a lot of people who are living forever, their whole the whole focus you have on life would change. And you're there, you're going to be there for a lot of years. And I just think a lot of those resource problems, maybe I've watched too much Star Trek, but like, they're all going to be... We can go into space. They're all going to be solved. Like, like it's not just going, like, not the going into space thing. Although I think that's also, uh, like, in the long run, an inevitability. But it's the... Especially if we're living forever. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, there's only so many times you can go to China. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can never get there's enough. Beijing. You can never get enough yeah. of that China. Yeah. Um... Yeah, like, I mean, there's other things, though, like, you know, like, whatever, gen- genetically modified foods, replicators, yeah, yeah, holodecks, all that sort of stuff. All right, but then so, now you're going into into fantasy science fiction territory. Uh, transporters I mean, and... Transporters. And, and fucking replicators. That's not on the cards. Uh, okay. But, you know, I'm just, I was just picking a technology out of my arse, but, like, yeah. uh, you know, ge- genetically modified food is a technology that currently exists, oh, yeah, yeah. and... Yeah. Uh, you know, agricultural changes. Like, there's more than enough food on the or capability at the moment yeah. for the planet to support the human beings that are there. Yeah, it does, yeah. It's not dished out uh, equally, but if it were, um, am I getting a, well, a yes from Ken? Well, to, for well, everyone well one, to one thing forever? I was going to say to you is, uh, um, you were going on about people. Their main worry, living for, or one of the main worries is like, you know, getting like old and. Uh, enfeebled and stuff like that but I think that's the only thing that's really scary about death is is the process of dying you know like like just being irreversibly sick for a couple of years and just you know your body getting weaker and weaker and in more pain and then dying like the actual death itself for the individual who experiences it I don't really see that as as being a bad that bad of a thing. Yeah, that doesn't. I mean, different people, different, different mentalities. That doesn't scare me as much as being dead. Yeah. Genuinely, like, uh, like, do you do you ever have that feeling that like there's not enough, like there's not enough time, like there's lots of things I'd like to do, and you know I'm not gonna get to do them, which is good. Like, and lots of them, especially because like some of them are uh, like physical. So like in an ideal world, if I was living forever, I might like given uh, being like a whatever professional footballer or something a bash because it might be interesting to do yeah, for yeah. like 30 years yeah. and then do like you know like a, like I was a musician for a while maybe do music for a while uh, so there's lots of things you're like oh it would have been cool to do you know be an astronaut I'm not going to be an astronaut yeah well that's just all like I don't know like endless amusement like you would just live forever just to endlessly amuse yourself uh, that's not really that meaningful is it well, the music, like, what, what is meaningful? Like, you're also in all of that time going to have, like, love and knowledge. Like, is there anything more meaningful than searching for love and knowledge? Going to China? That, <laughs> that, yeah, that beats both right. of those things, hand down. And now we'll cut to our China tourism jingle. <laughs> China. Ancient treasures. Modern wonders. I oh here oh I can hear myself. I can't hear you though. You're always like, I can't hear myself. What the <laughs> fuck? Like you just sat down. I like, see what mic you're at to talk to take off. <laughs> and every single time you're surprised by it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I can hear it now. It sounds great. 
One, two, three, four, five. Excellent. You can go to your yeah, mic there. Okay. Hello. Yes, I can hear myself. It sounds grand. It sounds lovely, lovely, lovely and grand. I'll come to you. Okay. Hello and welcome to Michael's People with me, Michael Person. Hi, I'm Nash Consing. Okay, my name's not really Michael. Anyway, right, so, uh, do you want to live forever? No, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, no. No. No, no why? Because when, when you're dead, the pain's over. No, the misery finishes when you're dead, man. Okay, so it's all miserable for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't I want to live forever. Couldn't do it. No, mate. Ah, sure. I don't think so. No. I've I noticed most people's instant reaction is no. Why? I suppose the body will only last for so long. And there's no point living to 150 and just be stuck in a wheelchair. No. Because everyone I know and love would be dead and what would be the point of that? <laughs> yeah, but you didn't meet new people. Yeah. You'd have new friends. I don't like new people. No. Because I'll be, I'll be bored. Because if you are bored, you just feel no sense like right now, and so every second is so painful. It's like, you know, torture is worse than death, the death. so I think, yes, bored bore is like a torture, and so I don't want to be tortured, I'd rather die. No, because it's miserable. Oh, it's already miserable. Oh no, it's fine now, <laughs> um, but it's only getting worse. You've got climate change, the whole shebang. I've enjoyed life to date. I look forward to whatever's left, but I'm quite happy to leave. I think we have enough time. We have enough time to leave. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why? Actually, no. Actually, no. What changed your mind? <laughs> I just thought about all the movies and what I thought about living forever. I was like, okay, no. But I've seen this one movie, and um, this guy was able to live forever, and he outlived all of his friends and family, and he was. Depressed. Yeah, it's the green mile, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so let's say uh, you're on the way out here and you get run over by a lorry. Right, and the medics come up to you and they say, ah, it's not looking good, Jimmy. Uh, is your name Jimmy? Sure, it can be if you want. Okay, so they're like, it's not looking good, Jimmy. You're gonna die. But I have this tablet here, you can take it and you're gonna live forever. So what do you want? Do you want to die right now or live forever? Well, if I live forever, I'm never going to figure out what's after. Maybe there's something better after. Yeah, good. You're the first person to bring that up, actually. Uh, what will you do? You're, all your family and friends die. I just get new ones. Do you hear that? You're easily replaceable. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's good to know. That's interesting. Maybe if it's possible to explore some space, I'll explore space. And I will risk a lot and try many, many uh, new things and so on. I just, I think I'd move around a lot. Yeah, go from place to place, uh, change my name a lot, and no one has to know who I am and why I'm living forever. Okay, would you not like go on the Late Late Show and you'd be like, yeah, that's me, the fella who lives forever? <laughs> no, I hate the Late Late Show. Okay, grand. <laughs> or, you know, or some show that you like. <laughs> no, I think I'd keep a low profile. I don't know, I have always just perceived life as this like cyclical thing. So if I were to just live forever, there'd be no, I'd have no self fulfillment. Did you never see the Highlander? No, I don't think so. I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't seen that movie. All right, these are all young people. They don't know about the Highlander. You're missing out on the greatest cultural event of the 20th century. You fools! All right, so we've got away. We've talked to our people. Has your opinion on the matter changed? No, unfortunately, unfortunately not. But uh, I did learn a lot more about it, which is good. Uh I was see I, I so I talked to Aubrey de Grey and I talked to Sarah Wambold uh, with you. 
and uh, I was there. I remember. Yeah, yeah, you might remember having been there. Um, like it was sort of Aubrey de Grey. I mean, convinced me more than ever of my own position, which is probably a bad thing in that like we were both kind of very much on the same page. But I did find out some really interesting things about the likelihood of living forever. That's kind of what I the the main thing I got from Aubrey was. You know, he he could put some sort of uh, some sort of numbers on it to a degree, and um, one thing that was really interesting is I I know this is sort of a sidebar, but I never knew, you know, when you hear like a uh, average life expectancy, mm-hmm. I wanted to get to the bottom of that and how likely it was to go up significantly within our lifetime. But did you do you know how they calculate average lifespan? I have a kind of a fuzzy notion in my head. That they just take the average, um, they just take the age that, the different ages that people are dying at and get an average from that. Like it's not, as far as I'm aware, it's not actually based on what they expect each individual to reach. Or are you about to tell me that I'm totally wrong there? No, no, it's just like you're, <laughs> you could have just said no. Because <laughs> you're just kind of like grasping at straws. No, but, but that's kind of, yeah. the, that's the notion that I go about in my head when I see life expectancy in the middle ages is blah. That's what I'm thinking, that they average. So is your understanding though? Because the question, the question I asked him was... When you say, like, it seems like my whole life, life expectancy has, or the average life expectancy has been going up. Um... But it's always kind of framed in the way of saying uh, if somebody's born now, they're likely to live to whatever, 100. Um, but, you know, being taking a selfish look at it, I'm 37. What, do what would be, what's my life, the life expectancy that is now, is that, say it's 82, 83, does that apply to me or does it apply to somebody who's just been born? Yeah, great question, because this is absolutely not explained by journalists and so on when the new statistics come out each year and the life expectancy has gone up by, you know, 0.1 years or whatever. Um, so the way it's actually calculated, it's called something, it's something called period life expectancy. So what people do is they look at the statistics from last year and they say, all right, how many people in the population we're looking at, let's say Ireland, were aged zero at the beginning of the year? And then they ask, out of those people, what proportion of them got to the end of the year without dying? And then they do the same thing for people who were age one at the beginning of the year. They say, okay, what proportion of them were still alive at the end of the year? And so on. Okay, so they get all those numbers for last year, and then they just multiply them up. And they and the life expectancy is simply the age at which, when you carry on doing that multiplying, you get down to 50%. Because each of these numbers is nearly one, right? Because nearly everybody who's alive, whatever their age, at the beginning of the year, survives until the end of the year, unless we're talking about people at an extremely um, old age. So, yeah, so that's how we calculate life expectancy now. It's called period life expectancy. And you're completely right. This is, <laughs> this is not a good estimate of how long people who are alive today are actually likely to live. Because it completely ignores the, well, first of all, it ignores the fact that you've already survived as long as you have, you're alive today, so we can forget about all the probabilities of dying at ages younger than what you already are, okay? And secondly, much more importantly, it completely ignores the fact that we're going to get better at keeping people alive at every age. 
not only in terms of postponing the health problems of late life, but also in terms of reducing risks of, de to, of death that do not even have to do with how long ago you were born, things like, you know, self-driving cars and so on. So absolutely, it is, you know, a grossly over-pessimistic um, estimate of how that's, long that's people how are actually so going it's, to it says nothing about, like, your previous life or your circumstances. Your and previous it, life? <laughs> your, previous no, life <laughs> your previous years of life. Right, right. Uh, it also like, says nothing about your previous <laughs> life. I was like, is there some new thing that I don't know about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't really, it's not like, basically it's not a very good system. Okay. Hmm. A very interesting. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you sound interesting. Uh, yeah. Um... So yeah, basically, with uh, with Aubrey de Grey, he kind of convinced me that it's more more or less a thing that is uh, inevitable. It's more a matter of uh, when rather than if. Hmm. Uh, so he was saying this is going to start happening in what fifteen years? He said seventeen years. Yeah. Now he said fifty. He said he did. He he qualified that. Obviously, any sort of prediction in science is difficult. He needs to please investors and stuff, though, doesn't he? Like, it's it's not going to be any, like, his funds may well dry up if he's like, oh, yeah, we're not going to see progress on this for another, I'd say, 200 years. Well, I think he is the investor. Like, because uh, I, I, I think he started the organization because he came into a lot of inheritance or something. Oh, really? Yeah, so I think he's the investor himself. What he does want to, what he did say is that he wants to try and convince policymakers to start dealing with it uh, because it's coming like a lot quicker than they think it is and you know all sorts of practical issues will have to be handled like uh, pension payments and employment and uh, all that sort of stuff so he, he that's that's what his angle is that's why he was ha like he's happy to talk to us and he was like you're doing your job in terms of this because it's going to be really important mm. and we need to tell as many people as possible about it and make them uh, realise that they're their sort of objections to it or they're kind of putting it off like it's not something that's going to happen is really not uh, helpful. That well, I mean, he's like, it is going let's to be clear. There are no sensible arguments that aging is some kind of blessing in disguise. Uh, you know, the only real thing is that perhaps some people, if they were actually engaging their brains, might take 10 seconds to work out the reason why one particular argument is not valid and only two seconds to work out why another one is not valid. But the fact is the only reason why anyone takes more than 10 seconds is because they're not really wanting to reject the argument. They want to believe that aging is a blessing in disguise. So in the case of overpopulation, the one you just mentioned, you know, the obvious, a totally obvious argument that anyone ought to be embarrassed not to have thought of themselves is that we're already dramatically reducing the um, extent to which the average person creates pollution on the planet. Of course, when I say we're already doing it, what I mean is we're already developing the technology to do it. Um, so, you know, today we have an overpopulation problem and it's causing climate change and so on. But we're also already overwhelmingly, you know, got momentum to switch away from fossil fuels in favor of renewable energy. Uh, not far behind, we've got the development of artificial meat that will be both cheaper and tastier than regular meat. And so that will, again, vastly reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. We've got, you know, cheap desalination coming. We've got bacteria that eat plastic, you know, you name it. And therefore, 
we are absolutely going to be solving the overpopulation problem irrespective of whether we modestly increase the trajectory of global population as a result of bringing aging under medical control. You know, this is just so obvious. Plus also, I've actually been saying it on stage and on camera, you know, uh, until, until I'm blue in the face for a very long time. So one just has no excuse. So this brings me back again to the psychological aspect. Why do people want to believe that aging is a blessing in disguise? For me, it's very straightforward. It's simply that they're, they're terrified of getting their hopes up, that, you know, they have to maintain some kind of emotional distance from the problem in order, because they know in their heart of hearts that aging is this utterly ghastly thing that is currently going to happen to them and they just don't know whether people like me are going to be able to develop medicines that will be in time for them. So the best that they can do is to put it out of their minds and get on with their miserably short lives and make the best of it. And the only way they can do that is by pretending, by tricking themselves into thinking that actually this isn't such a bad thing after all. The only way that people actually manage to say such things with a straight face is by robustly, you know, <laughs> you know, barefacedly just forgetting that the choice is between getting sick when you get old or not getting sick when you get old. If you focus them on that, then it's very hard for them to say that they don't want to stay healthy. The danger I see right now is a very near-term one, which is that the current bizarre irrationality that I've been highlighting various aspects of over the past 10 minutes is actually, you know, people know in their heart of hearts that they are being irrational, which means there's a dam that's going to break. There's going to come a point when this pro-aging trance, as I call it, is going to, people are going to wake up. And that's going to happen as a result of relatively modest additional breakthroughs in the laboratory, not even in the clinic, actually in mice and so on, that are sufficient to allow my colleagues, the colleagues who can't kind of talk as plainly as I can because they rely for their funding on grant applications and so on, um, they can, they're going to start being more optimistic. And when the center of gravity of publicly stated expert opinion starts to become a lot more optimistic when it's not just one guy with a crazy English accent and a beard saying these things, that is when people are going to start believing. People are going to start abandoning this fear of getting their hopes up. And it's going to happen very, very suddenly. And when it does, what's going to happen is people are going to have a dramatic shift in how long they expect to live. Obviously, right? They're going to move from continuing to convince themselves that they're only going to live slightly longer than their parents did into a state of a frame of mind where they think they're probably going to live indefinitely. Now, you know, that's, that's quite a big change. And of course, it has consequences for decisions like, you know, what kind of pension plan you want, what kind of health insurance, life insurance, what kind of inheritance arrangements you're going to make. These are the big ticket items on which the global economy is built. So that, that global economy is going to have to be rebuilt from the ground up. And you can see where I'm going with this, can't you? That yeah. if decision makers and policymakers around the world are blindsided, if they have not been persuaded to actually forward plan and actually, you know, 
figure out how to deliver the products and the um, policies that the public suddenly want, then there's going to be a very unnecessary level of turbulence in the transition to the post-aging world. And of course, here I'm talking about a transition um, that's going to take time because the medicines that will be needed will still be in development, but that won't matter because people's decisions are based on their expectation of their future, not on what they can do already. So my focus these days is very strongly when I get talks and interviews to try to get policymakers and decision makers to actually wake up and take their heads out of the sand and remember that this is not just an electoral thing. Yes, there are no votes in changing policy now, but there sure as hell is a duty of those people to forward plan so that they can react rapidly when public opinion turns 180 degrees, which it's going to do very suddenly, rather right. soon. So he's saying everybody's ignoring this and it's really important and it's coming up and we have to think about it. To be honest, I feel slightly mental even talking about it now because it's the only context in which I've heard about this is making this podcast episode. Like it's, you never see, you know, Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin debating about it, you know, uh, yeah. on the podium. You never see uh, it on the news or anywhere. So like that just makes you feel like you're in some weird, like kind of, conspiracy type like you're, you're, you've gone outside of reasonableness or something like that yeah yeah I get that well you do hear the transhumanism thing a bit now with like your yeah. Elon Musk's and your Jeff Bezos or like, and I, which is weird because that's far more outlandish and far less relevant because I, as I think we mentioned it, you know we don't you don't even know if you're yourself in that situation yeah uh, that's Something that was brought up by James Hughes when I talked to him that complicates this slightly, like the notion of living forever, which is that he basically said the there's no discrete continuous self in the way that we think that there is. So what would it be that's surviving? Um, so, for example, I said, well, is it is not like the, the subjective experience that continues on and he said, well, imagine if all of your memories were gone all of a sudden, um, you know, would it still be you or, or like everything that, that that's a part of you? If that's all different, then what is it that's going on apart from maybe you're like a continuation of your cells or something? Well, that gets to the question of personal identity, which is uh, I have an abolitionist approach to personal identity. In other words, I don't think that we really exist the way we think we do. We're not continuous, discrete, autonomous uh, creatures. And as a consequence, um, I think some of the questions are, you know, angel dancing on the head of a pin. Mm -hmm. If we do have, I think before we have effective cryonic resuscitation, we're going to have our brains full of uh, millions or billions of nanobots that will be communicating with our neurons and uh, have the capacity over time to build a picture of your personality and upload it to some external chassis. So once we have that, we will have the philosophical question of, is that you? Uh, many people will then scrabble for this illusory uh, real you, this, this a substance that is supposedly you, which doesn't really exist. Uh, you change from minute to minute. We can go through quite radical changes during the course of our lifetime. We could lose almost all of our memory or all of our memory and still be considered us. 
uh, but because we're in the same body. But uh, once, if if you uploaded a copy of yourself and it didn't remember anything about you, well, most people wouldn't consider that you. So I think we need to figure these questions out. Well, wouldn't the subjective experience still be yours, e- even if it's you? You get rid of all memories or anything that you would associate with your identity. Is there not a continuation of subjectivity? Well, it, uh, you, that's a fascinating idea. Um, if you're saying that you are the same as anything that has a subjective identity, then you are effectively everybody, right? Because <laughs> everybody has a subjective identity. The things that distinguish us in terms of personal identity, supposedly, are memories and uh, other traits. And if you uh, whittle that down, I mean, I think you're getting at a Buddhist point, which is that um, once you really look at the illusory nature of the self, then you can feel an empathy for all beings. Once you feel that, I think one of the consequences of immortality in the context of neurotechnologies development as well, is that we will gradually erode this idea that we have some permanent, uh, meaningful, continuous existence individually. And uh, it will give rise to new forms of collectivism and uh, new forms of collective identity. I, I joke that we're, we're all going to end up in the Borg. Ha, huh, from Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Why are we uh, uh, losing all our memories? Right. So, so like, he's not, he's not saying you take the immortality tablet, but you lose all your memories. Yeah, okay. Uh, oh, that's an interesting question, actually. Would you take it if you knew you would lose all your memories? <laughs> that's too interesting a question. That could be, like, a whole other hour tagged onto the end of this podcast. God, I don't, having never had a chance to think about that, not the chance, never even thought of thinking about that. Well, you have the chance to think about that every day. Yeah. <laughs> Just an opportunity yeah, yeah, that yeah, you yeah. don't take. Yeah. Um, God, I know, like, I find the uh, the older I get, the more I find that one of the most important things to me is memories and records of things. Like, in in a way that they... They, they they kind of give like even making this podcast or like making an album i feel like i've done something really important because there's a record of it i don't, I don't know if that's because i'm a history student or what it is but i i i think no like a you're not you're not saying a life without memories you're just saying the current memories i have gone and then yeah. i i can start all over again with new memories no unless unless i was unless i would say like 110 and virtually everyone i knew had already like passed on then I might do it because like yeah like you don't like the the people you, you the, the people you love is kind of the most important thing about one of the most important things about being alive and if you just eliminate their memory there's something horrific this is again is something horrific about when people say oh it's grand to not exist it's not fucking it's not grand it's like all these brilliant people, like there's probably been billions. I saw, I heard a statistic this morning actually. I think there's been, they reckon there's been 214 billion human beings that have died over the, the course of humanity. What a massive tragedy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Like you said it jokingly, but that's 214 individuals, 214, not 214, 214 billion individuals whose, most of whom's uh, memory is like, lost forever or and the things that they did and the people that they loved and their accomplishments um so no i don't i, I wouldn't take it unless virtually everyone i knew was already dead okay what about uh, you no 
I, in fact, I'm not even sure uh, I would take it. I, I'm very on the fence generally about about living forever. I guess I still feel like it's a weird niche uh, t- fake thing that's not going to happen or something. And Aubrey de Grey is just like some mentaler. <laughs> Can we put that in the podcast? <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, okay, but like also that's, I feel like you're kind of doing what um, Les Knight did there where you're like, I'm asking you a hypothetical question. I'm not asking you about the, re- the realism. Yeah, yeah. And you're just kind of sidestepping it by going. Supposing for a moment that through whatever scientific endeavor, uh, we managed to come up with a solution that maintains the biodiversity of the planet, as you said, uh, maybe increases the lifespan of uh, and the, the, the well-being of all the other organisms that live on the planet, whilst also increasing our lifespan uh, indefinitely. And uh, achieving balance, you know, that would take obviously a lot of <laughs> a lot of work scientifically. But supposing somebody managed to solve that issue, do you still want to die, or do you uh, would you rather live forever? Uh, and also, does that extend to the the whole race? Yes. Uh, also, it would be all how many billions of us, not just the rich people. Yeah, everybody, 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 yeah. and supposing we've come up with lots of different technologies that uh, you know we can. I'm I'm thinking of something like uh, Star Trek. They have like the replicator where they just like you know food magically appears. It's in it's sort of the conservation of energy into mass. So we've come up with all these wondrous technologies. We can travel the universe, and we're not going to mess up whatever planet we live on. And everybody's going to be living forever unless. They're murdered or they yes. have an accident. Uh, right. w- would you then, in that circumstance, uh, in that admittedly very utopian circumstance, would you take the option of living forever? Well, there, it, before I answer that, I have to say we do have a solution for half of the problem that you have presented, the problem of loss of biodiversity and uh, destruction of natural ecosystems, and it's called contraception. That would take care of uh, that aspect. Now, we would have to before we have everybody living forever, we really would have to cut our uh, population size down to uh, a billion probably or less because the, the planet, even with our magic replicators, you know, you can't, the, uh, you can't uh, m- create or destroy matter. So it's got to come from somewhere, including energy. It can't create or destroy energy. So all of that has to come from somewhere. There, there's no free uh, anything. So, uh, no, I still wouldn't want to, but I can see that in this utopia, there is far too much to overcome uh, and still preserve uh, any uh, semblance of a natural uh, ecosphere. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily an aversion because it might happen. Uh, or because, Sorry, because you might be disappointed at, at it not happening. There's, it's also just gotten into weird territory, you know. If it does happen, like there, it's always an interesting thing that they say about, uh, you know, Catholics and Protestants' different attitudes about gambling. You know, like that the Protestant thinks uh, or the Catholic thinks gambling is bad because you might lose, but the Protestant thinks gambling is bad because you might win, and that, and that's not virtuous. Uh yeah, okay, yeah. Well, actually, and that's that's an interesting side of it because I think a lot of which we'll probably find a lot over the course of these podcasts, a lot of philosophical issues or people's answers to philosophical questions, I think comes down to whether they're an optimist or a pessimist. 
Mm. Uh, maybe not the well. No, I would like. I'm an optimist, so maybe I'm like definitely like. For instance, earlier on in the podcast, when you were you were going like, "Well, would I survive the uh, heat death of the universe?" And I was like, "I hadn't even considered." Not only had I not considered the heat death of the universe, I also hadn't considered the fact that like, you know, uh, we mightn't sort out all the other problems on the planet as well. Like mm. I was like, ah, oh, we'll all have loads of food and we'll travel to China, as we said. Um, when I was talking to Rachel James, um, she was one of our, you know, pro debt advocates uh, for the episode. She was telling me, <laughs> should we introduce her as a pro debt advocate? I kind of think, yeah, that's that's more or less. Uh, <gasps> Yeah, yeah, we will. Um, so she, <laughs> whether she likes it or not, <laughs> she was saying that she had a near death experience and that it was actually kind of really nice. And if she had a died then, she'd be fine with that. My name's Rachel James, and I am a writer, a funeral counselor, and a death positive advocate. So, what if though uh, you were literally on the verge of death? And I was there going, here, they just invented this new tablet. I have a spare one. Do you want it? It makes you live forever. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've been, I'm a, uh, the reason I keep bringing up cancer specifically is I'm yeah. a cancer survivor. Right. Uh, and I wasn't, you know, I was, luckily, my treatment was successful and all that. I've been in remission for five years now. But um, I definitely had a moment where I was told I would, there's very likely I wouldn't be here much longer. Mm-hmm. And then I also had an, uh, a near death experience when I was giving birth to my son a couple of years later, where I, I lost pressure and everything on the table when I was in mm. childbirth. And I have to say that if the first time when I sat down with my oncologist and they told me I was sick, I would have said yes, because I have young children and, you know, I was 38 and it was too soon, too soon. Um, now, when I passed out on the, on the table when I was giving birth, I thought I was taking a nap. Like I, I remember thinking, this epidural is amazing. I can't feel anything. I could take a nap right now and drifting off to sleep in the most comfortable, soft, squishy nap time feeling ever, and then being woken by faces and lights and uh, and beeping, and I realized that I was what I, I was. I'd lost consciousness, and I remember thinking, if that's how I would get to die, that would be awesome. Like if that was it. If I just thought I was uh, like you'd been up all night and you're exhausted and you hit that pillow and you just melt into it, that feeling, if that was my death, that'd be great. And if at that moment someone said, do you, hey, do you want to wake up right now? Do you want to? I may have said no because it was delightful. But, you know. So was that, would, was that a near death experience in the sense of like, like you did actually die and they had to revive you? Near death as in like my, yeah, they, my blood pressure dropped and my oxygen dropped to dangerous levels and they had to, you know, do something about it. I mean, I didn't go to the other side or anything like that. Okay. Um, I have been with people who, when they were dying, like when they were actually passing and I've watched that process from the, you know, from the outside and there's definitely something that happens and, um, but I didn't have that experience. I just had the, you know, realizing that that was a close call and if there hadn't been anyone there to help me i would have died in that moment and it would have been lovely yeah i did like i don't know i did like like she says that but she's alive yeah and she's not she's alive and she's not like in any rush to die mm. like i so i just i i kind of just don't find that very convincing it's it's like what's that line it's a you know Nobody's religious until they're in a they're on a battlefield or something like that. Or I think it's in a foxhole. In a foxhole, yeah, something like that. 
But you know, so you're like, oh yeah, it'll be it'll be fine. It'll be fine when I die, just because it's so far from your thoughts that you're like, oh, that's that's something that I don't have to really think about now. Yeah. So yeah, what was you were, you mentioned James Hughes there earlier? What what was his kind of standpoint? Like, what was he? Yeah. What were you talking to him about exactly? All right. Well, well, he was generally uh, very in favor of it and that it's going to come. But uh, you know, there were some things that he was worried about. Right. Um, one of them isn't overpopulation, which is something that I think all three of our pro death advocates <laughs> said. <laughs> Said that they were that overpopulation was was a big uh, a big worry, and he was basically saying, you know, uh, the population is going to reach like a certain point, and because in developed countries people have fewer children, it's like the the process uh, where it will start to decline is already taking place, and that that's not something we really have to think about. And then he was saying, yeah, we don't really have a, a good definitions of debt. Do we not? Like, like um. He gave this really interesting case where there was a guy somewhere in America. There's an interesting story in the New York Times today, actually, about a guy who had a life sentence in an American prison, and he um, died on the table and had a do not resuscitate order, but because he was a prisoner, it was not honored. And so when he was resuscitated, he's been arguing for the last four years that he actually died and served his life sentence and therefore should be released from prison. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we already have some of these uh, kinds of issues coming on the table. Well, what's the case against that? I mean, he's died. That's fair enough. It was a life sentence. He's back to well, life. The, judge, the judge's argument, as uh, many have argued such philosophical cases, is you're in court now. You're obviously not dead, so go back to prison. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, yeah, but I was dead. I did it. Yeah. You know? yeah. well, that's that, brilliant. Yeah. That, that is a brilliant legal argument. I kind of think they should have taken I think that's fair enough. If something like that happens... I don't know, it's a definite, like, it's a definite loophole. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> think if there's a loophole like that, you know, apparently they used to, if they tried to hang you three times and it didn't work, uh, apparently they set you free. I don't know if that's just bollocks or, you know, one of these urban myths that yeah. you hear, but I kind of think something like that should be the case. Um, yeah, so he was saying, like, uh, yeah, we, we don't have good definitions of death or the self, and there are not really things that most people have thought about uh, the notion of personal identity. So like, for example, um, you know, what makes you in your old age, the same person that you were as a a child or a baby that, you know, you have no memories of that that time or anything like that. Yeah. It's an interesting one because there there is that uh, cell regeneration thing as well, isn't it? That none of your cells last something like more than nine years. I'd love someone to make that legal defense. Yeah, yeah, I was literally a different person in every conceivable way at the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, legally that wouldn't uphold. Uh, I assume. Well, otherwise people would be making that argument all the time. But um, I, it's hard to make the argument that it it's not actually true. Yeah, but it, but your experience is continuous. Like your your um, our lived experience is such that we can remember all the things that we've done and then we can verify if we so wanted that we did those not all the things we've done but lots of the things that we don't we did and we can verify like if you videotaped your entire life videotaped uh if you <laughs> if you filmed your entire life i've just realized film is also not appropriate because yeah, you yeah. are. anyway yeah. if you did that thing for your entire life uh you would have a record of it and you would probably be like Oh yeah, I remember that. You know, so there's and it's 
like that's demonstrable. So you are in that sense. That's one way in which you can well uh, uh, prove uh, that you're that you're you're one being that's been okay. ongoing. And then there's also the people around you. Uh, well, can I just like complicate that for a sec? Yeah. Uh, there's no way for you to know that uh, when you went to sleep yesterday, that your your like conscious experience wasn't swapped out with somebody else. And the memories are local to your head and your brain, but the subjective experiencing of it, uh, let's say that's what what gets swapped out. You would know there'd be no way to know that. Uh, I definitely think we should have an episode about what is the self. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we probably should. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you have an answer to that, but I was going to say, but anyway, well, 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 well uh, James Hughes, anyway, is, is ba- has a kind of almost like a, a Buddhist type uh, notion of that. There's the uh, the illusory nature of the self. Uh, and he was also had this view as well that there's no real moral code out there. There's just a kind of... Society just like agrees on things that are best. So, for example, um, if somebody was like a psychopath and they're going to get to live forever and the main thing that they're concerned about is how many people they can kill or how much suffering they can cause... Um, he was saying, yeah, that would be outvoted. You know, most people wouldn't be on for that. Yeah, probably not. And you you actually asked me early on, like, uh, at the start of the podcast, whether or not, you know, would murders, what would your sentence be if you committed a murder and everyone was, like, immortal? Like, mm. you get out after 40 years and live another few millennia. Um, and actually, it's an interesting question because I, I don't know. Like, I'm totally against the death penalty but maybe I would need to reevaluate that in a situation where people were amortal, because, like you said, if it was like a mass murderer or a psychopath, can you let them out for like centuries to just continue to do it, whilst they continuously learn how they could do it more effectively and not get caught? Um, it is a a hard one. I mean, uh, should we be punishing people anyway? Or you know, like what? What is the point of of prison and justice and stuff? That's that's like a to- that's a different stop question. Inter- stop introducing new episodes. <laughs> uh, uh, you introduced about a six six of them already in this in this episode. Yeah. Uh, well, there's lots of interesting questions out there to be had. I find lots of things just lead on to other things, don't they? They do. Uh, what did you make then of uh, our uh, voluntary extinction man, Les Knight? Uh, I wasn't convinced at all, really, by uh, what he had to say. But he was a really lovely man. He was a lovely man, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I think, I think that the main thing about I found the the argument a little circular. I said that to him, and I thought he sort of sidestepped the question I asked him. But I asked him if you, you know, talked about removing feeling, removing human emotion, and therefore, I guess, removing morality. Um, but is morality as sort of a is that not a human construct and? If there are no humans in the universe, there is no morality. There's no good. There's no bad. You've you've sort of eliminated the idea of good. You're right. It wouldn't be necessary. We are the only species uh, that needs the uh, difference between good and evil to have morality. We're the only species that could uh, voluntarily bring about our extinction because we care so much. We're the only one that needs to, for that matter. Yeah, but is that not an issue then that... Like if if there's no uh being that is capable of 
understanding good and striving for good you haven't necessarily come with like a net more good result at the end of the human race because you have a load of organisms that you know frankly don't care about that and will do whatever is necessary to survive yes all of them will they have uh before we uh furless bee tapes came along that's all they did we don't need morality once uh the uh, biosphere uh, is, uh, we are absent from the biosphere. The, um, it, it, you know, our sense of good and evil isn't really doing us a lot of good, is it? I mean, we, we know, but if you looked at uh, humanity as a whole, uh, just how good are we? How well are we using our um, awareness of good and evil? I don't think it's all that great. As I said to you when we left you, then then what? Why bother doing anything? Why not just then like take a selfish attitude and live forever? Then like, why? Why are we trying to help biodiversity if morals don't matter? Um, so I thought that was sort of weird and circular. It didn't make any sense to me. Uh, yeah, it is. It, it's interesting because uh, uh, James Hughes had a kind of a similar perspective that there aren't, you know, there's no kind of true north when it comes to morals or ethics or anything like that, and yet they've kind of got to that position from completely opposing perspectives Uh, again I can't say I've been convinced really by the point of view that we should go extinct I don't see how that would even be good for animals like for example um, right for a fish right it's either going to be eaten by a bigger fish or else it'll be scooped up in one of our nets I would say both of those ends for the fish from the fish's point of view are not are equally bad like like it's not if we're not there scooping them out of the sea uh it, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be like a better um a better end for that fish yeah well he uh, he also less nice seemed to say he didn't really care about the better end for the fish like it wasn't it it was yeah. sort of there was no morals involved, but then I just don't understand why it matters at all then. If, like, if we put, make every other animal on the planet extinct, if there's no morals, and this is obviously not my opinion, who gives a shit? You know, like, yeah. it doesn't make, and like, literally, in this situation, who gives a shit? Because there won't be anyone to give a shit yeah. if you get rid of the humans. Like, and he, and some people wouldn't accept that, I suppose. They wouldn't say that morals is a, human construct you know maybe they, they might suggest that other organisms have some sort of sense of morals personally i i think i'm not sure i'm not sure about that i i think it's probably animals aren't capable of that thing they certainly don't behave like they are uh but he he accepted the, the, my premise that morals were a human construct and he still was like we should go extinct so i just i find that kind of strange also there's that thing there's a separation there of nature and humanity which i also f- always find kind of jars with me because yeah. we are part of of nature for for better or worse and he mentioned this is the sixth mass extinction yeah there's been five previous ones uh you know if you think that nature should be a certain way tough like nature has created us we may or may not be causing the sixth mass extinction why is that Again, if you're taking the human morality equation out of it, why is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's just a thing that's happening. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. We're as much a part of nature as 
anything else like a, a skyscraper is a part of nature in the same way that like a beaver's dam is it's it was built there by an animal to suit its needs and stuff like that yeah from the materials in the environment mm. um so i think the, the way this is sounding to me ken uh you asked me like had my opinion changed uh it, it obviously it hasn't in fact it's been probably strengthened um how have you how have you felt about it like you you were you were the one who i guess was more likely to be you didn't have a particularly staunch view you were kind of in the middle somewhere and you talked to one person on the end of like uh being in favor of immortality three people sort of against it what's your where yeah. has your position moved at all um and what is your position no i i mean i'm kind of like leaning towards the uh the immortality thing I, I found like all sides seem to have a concern with um the reduction of suffering and things like that so i don't think it's like uh, any of them are bad but i definitely found like the more what we're calling like the pro-death side to be what you're calling the pro-death yeah. side <laughs> well, well actually uh i think rachel james uh characterized herself as a debt positive advocate yeah, okay, that's fine. And that's um, right, Sarah Wambold may have done as well. Um, <laughs> anyway, something that I found that all three of the pro-death side people, um, there was a, a, a streak of misanthropy, of of like yeah. people hating. Now, we asked Les Knight, and again, lovely bloke, <laughs> we asked him if he is a hater of humanity, and he said, like, absolutely not. Uh, it's a, in fact a concern for like the you know like well the we know what he's saying the well being yeah being yeah. born say into this yeah world. and things like that but I definitely found uh all of them had some kind of uh like a like a, a I don't know anti human element like uh, Rachel James said at one stage that our nature as humans is not evolved enough to handle that just yet <laughs> well well what if it's your choice if there are if they're there, all right. Well, we've we've to cast the vote. It it comes down to you. Uh, are we going to press the button and turn on the the immortality machine and make everybody immortal? I don't know. I feel you know. I think that the human nature is our our, our nature as humans is just not evolved enough to handle that yet. I feel like that would just encourage more bad behavior out of us. But you know, on a sociological level. But I don't know. It's a it's a pretty in depth topic. So. I would say no. I wouldn't press the button personally. And it would encourage more bad behavior from us, she said, which I think is like a notion that evolution is somehow directed or is an end goal. Yeah. I think they call that a teleological approach, don't Ooh. they? Or do they? Uh, so she was saying it's uh, it's an ego-driven desire to, to want to live forever or to want to uh, extend people's lives. Um, I think that view comes from I think when you just take it as the current state of affairs and then immortality rather than should we extend it more and should we keep going and should we keep going? And she was also saying, um, going back to population, I keep going back to like, okay, well, what about disease? If it wipes out, you know, communicable diseases, then that's what nature's way of kind of shaking us off when there's too many of us is they throw in a good plague. Right. So if that's not, <laughs> if that's not a thing and people are not dying from, you know, cancer and and heart disease those are the major killer so where do we put everyone and who where are they going to work are we just creating a huge like population of homeless people in poverty and and despair because there's no 
you know, economy or resources to, what about resources? <laughs> I, I find people who have that view, they seem to think that there's a direction that everything is going in that's, that's uh, kind of outside of, of human agency in some way. And so, yeah, I, I found, uh, um, I, you know, I only talked to one person on the other side and I did find it kind of more convincing. In fact, if you put the, tab- the table, if you put the tablet on the table now, <laughs> I think I'd take it. All right, okay, that's cool. it. Decided. I'm on the side. It seems the more pro-human side. I'm very pro the humans. Okay, three scenarios. Yes or no question. Scenario number one. Uh, Will Smith in genie form arrives. You really don't know who I am. Genie, wishes, lamp, none of that ringing a bell. He says to you, Ken, do you want to like live for the rest of the universe? The life of the universe? I'll take it. Cool, you're taking it on your own. I'm just... Give it a go. That kind of answers the other two then. So, uh, All right. do you want to live forever? That's a wrap. Yeah, that's a wrap. Well, well, the other, go on, what are the other well, questions? The other two, well, if, you, if you answer yes to that one, then you'll never, you give it a go. Give it a go. Yeah, because the other ones are going to be like with your family and friends. You're obviously also definitely going to say yes. Oh, no, no. If I can't lord it over everyone, it's the only immortal person on yeah, the go. I think we established at the start of the show, like your only reason for actually wanting to do this was to go on the Late Late Show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's cool. all you want. Um, so Ryan Tuberty, if you're listening, yeah. <laughs> Ken wants on. So obviously you're going to say yes to the second scenario, which was, you know, everybody gets to live forever. Uh, third option, you get to live forever, uh, but you don't have an option to, to, to discontinue that. Like you're not immortal, you're immortal, tough shit. You're, you're just existing indefinitely. Past the heat death of the universe. Past the heat death of the universe. See what's on the other side. What's... Yeah, well, I, I I know it sounded like we were coming to a wrap, but one of the things is that, like, I, I'm kind of, like, uh, not a religious person or anything, but I'm still curious to see, is there something on the other side? You know, what happens? Where does the mind go? How can it not exist? Okay, so you're saying no to that last one then? Uh, well, if, it, if I have to live past the heat death of the universe, um, that's just as as bad as there not being anything after death so I'll go with the version where I die okay cool so that's it for this episode of Double Think we hope you enjoyed it we'd like to thank all our guests as well as Peter Malloy and Julia Terreno and of course you for listening if you liked what you heard share the episodes subscribe uh, tell your friends all that sort of good stuff and if you want to have your own say do please get in contact with us on Twitter Double Think Cast is the handle there or email at doublethinkpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook at doublethinkpodcast and then we will address your responses and concerns and complaints and high praise which will no doubt be plentiful on our follow-up episode called Mini Think in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and we'll have another episode of Double Think for you next month but for the moment we'll end the show as we'll end every show with Ken's feelings about this episode transmitted via the medium of improvised song. I've been Aidan McKelvey, and this is Rockin' Kenneth Walsh. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. No, that's lame. <laughs> so, uh, just you, uh, you give us, give, give me a, it's just going on your mood, Ken, basically. I'm this in a kind of excited mood. Excited? Because we just finished, yeah. So, I'm kind of thinking like Drive Time Rock then. Okay. Right, so we go with Drive Time Rock. Okay. Right. 
So we just start singing things. Living forever. <laughs> In outer space. The heat death of the universe is destroying my face. <laughs> Living forever.